What's poppin' everybody? Episode 65 of the Slippin' Weave Podcast coming right at you. Um, first solo episode in a little bit. No guests this week. Just your boy. It is what it is. Um, I want to talk the rematch between Charlo and Castaño. Um, I want to talk about Gilberto Ramirez's uh, most recent performance against, against uh, Dominic Bozell. And, um, you know, I want to get into some of the fights next week, including uh, David Benavides and David Lemieux. So let's get right into it. Charlos have proven me wrong, specifically Jermel. Um, you know, if you've been watching this show, I, I've made predictions that I thought he was going to lose on a couple of different occasions. Um, and he never did. So, you know, I thought Tony Harrison was going to beat him in the rematch. Um, I definitely thought Castagna was going to win this fight. Uh, I thought Rosario was going to beat him back then, which looking back was a really dumb pick, but it was just the momentum of the moment. You know, between Rosario dominating J-Rock, it just seemed like that was a possibility. And I think I was trying to figure out why I keep making that assumption. And it's because both of those guys have shown some gaps in their game before. And they also fight a high level of competition. So I keep thinking that this high level of competition is going to be able to capitalize on some of those flaws. And at times they are. But I think what what they're both showing, and Jermel in particular, we'll just focus on Jermel. You know, Jermel is a guy who makes adjustments, man. He makes adjustments. He he fixes things. Um, and and th- for me, this performance against Castaño really solidified, you know, um, or kind of changed my thinking around what kind of fighter he is. Not that I ever thought he was a bad fighter or anything. I've always thought he was a top-level guy. But now, having seen the transitions he's made from the first fight, where he spent so much of the fight with his back against the ropes, you know, taking body punishment, taking hard shots along the ropes, and I think the vast majority of people probably think that he lost that fight um, to this rematch, where he's keeping the whole fight on the end of the jab, even when they're exchanging, he's not allowing he's not allowing his back to go to the ropes where he can get pinned and where Castaño can kind of shove him around. Even when they were exchanging, he, he wouldn't do it with his back against the ropes. He would do it from an arm's length where his shots could get the most power. You know, and even in rounds where Castaño won the round, you know, it never... It never got to a point where Jermel looked over looked overwhelmed. Whereas in the first fight, it did kind of seem like Castaño's hand speed and offense and pressure was overwhelming to him. You know, 
Castagna was able to essentially throw what he wanted to throw at Jamel in the first fight. And this fight, he had to go look for it. And that was the big difference, you know. And with Castaño having beaten uh, Soro, you know, with getting the draw against Lara, he's already validated in a sense where we know this guy's a top-level guy. That's what makes it such a good win to me is that this is a guy with – Castaño is a guy with a lot of skills that can do a lot of different things that's a handful. And it wasn't easy – but ultimately, it was pretty dominant. Like, I think Jamel won five or six rounds going into the 10th. And being able to really hurt this guy and stop this guy, I mean, that's a big statement, man. It's a massive statement. And now he has got all four belts at 154 pounds. He's clearly the top guy at junior middleweight. He's the shot caller now. You know, if you want to get a championship, you got to go through Jamel. Now, it's hard to know how long he's going to be able to hang on to all these belts with all of the belt politics and mandatories and and which which one's going to be a stickler, you know, about enforcing the mandatory before the big fights get made. But um, if you hadn't seen already, Terrence Crawford this week was on the Porter White podcast and essentially said that I want to fight Errol and then I want to move up and fight Jamal. And I mean, I think that's an amazing fight. Junior middleweight right now is one of those weight classes where there's a lot of talent and they're fighting each other. So there's a lot of turnover. Um, there's a lot of guys in the mix. And so to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of great fights for Jamel. Um, you know, you obviously, Fundora being the most obvious um, like size challenge. I think Jamel's 5'11 or six foot. This guy's six six, you know. Um, I think he's shown, even though he has some some defensive flaws, he doesn't necessarily use his height the way he should, you know. That he's a lot to handle. That tall pressures is is difficult to handle, and that he clearly has enough power to impact you physically and slow the fight down. If you're somebody that wants to box and move. Um, so I think on a stylistic level, Fandora is a very, very difficult fight for him. You know, another fight that I would love to see him in is potentially a fight with Tim Zhu. You know, I saw his last fight against Gaucher. I like the pressure that he brings to the table. He has actually some similarities to Castaño in that he's a pressure fighter. I don't know if his hands are as fast, but it looks like he's bigger and maybe hits a little harder. Um and is a little more relentless with the pressure. Castaño still relatively measured and calculated. He's still thinking defense. He's still being responsible. I think some of the recklessness that not recklessness, but some of the the aggression that Zoo shows, he's going to get hit more maybe than Castaño. But I think he's also going to uh, be in position to punch maybe more than Castaño. Um, so I think Tim Tim Zhu is a is a, is a real tough fight, um, you know. And I think that Jermel is a guy that could also be in the mix at middleweight if he wanted to, you know. He's he's beaten the top guys at this weight now, and has all four belts. It'd be great if he defended them, but I, you know, there's guys at middleweight that need dance partners too. I would love to see Jermel fight Andrade or Golovkin. 
or any of these guys. I think that this performance for me kind of puts him in the mix against any of those guys. Um, and he's got the frame for it. His brother's already moved up to middleweight, whereas they both went pro at 154. So it just doesn't seem like that much of a stretch. Um, on a personal level, I would I think the fight that I would want to see most is a fight between him and Crawford, potentially. Or the winner, you know, I don't think he'll fight Errol because they're in the same camp. But if Crawford were to beat Errol Spence, you know, I think a fight with him and Charlo would be gigantic. Um, you know, and also on the undercard, just briefly, I want to touch on uh, Jerron Ennis knocking out Custio Clayton. I mean, I said this on the the ITR boxing show, uh, the boxing shop. Clayton's a good fighter. You know, if you saw Clayton fight Lipinets and and get a draw, but probably beat him, you know, you know that this is a guy with some skills that can box, that can move, um, very intelligent in the ring. And and it's just made him look like easy work. Easy work. Just walked right through him, walked him down, beat him up, knocked him out. And I think Part of how he's doing that is he's just a lot bigger and faster and stronger. And he's just more everything than everything everybody he's getting in the ring with. So these guys who are good fighters, he's making them look easy. He's wiping them out. So that's that's where I think, um, you know, just off of the eye test, fighting these these. I guess fringe contenders are the best word, but guys that are good fighters, top 20 welterweights. Um, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting to see as he continues to move up that progression, those increases in competition, you know, how those skills hold up. Because on the eye test, it just seems like he's going to smoke everybody. Um, and at the moment, offhand, the only two guys that it would seem like could give him any kind of challenge are Crawford and Spence. You know, outside of that, it's hard to imagine, just based on the performances he's giving, it's hard to imagine anybody get putting up any kind of resistance against him. Um, but there is also a thing where, as you move up in competition, there's like a level of competition you can hit where your skills start to look a little bit more normal. I'm wondering if that point is ever going to come or if he is just that much of a beast. But that's why I think it's important that we see him in with somebody like Danny Garcia or Keith Thurman. You know, somebody that's in the top 10, but in that or even in the top five, but in that lower bracket of the top 10. Because I don't think Spence or Crawford are going to fight him before they fight each other. I don't think that's going to happen. So. You know, getting him in the ring with somebody like Keith Thurman or Danny Garcia, those two names, I think, are probably the the place where he's at. Even if he could get in the ring with somebody like Ugas that we know is is validated. You know, Stenyonis is a real tough challenge. Um, there's guys out there for him to fight. Um, and he's honestly got a gigantic frame for a welterweight. It's easy to imagine him fighting at 154. You know, just off the top of my head... You know, I, I think a fight between, um, you know, same deal as Charlo. I think a fight between him and Tim Zhu is super interesting. 
you know, he's already so much bigger than all these welterweights. It, fe- it feels like it's only a matter of time before he's a junior middleweight or a middleweight. Um, and the more dominant he is over guys that we know are good fighters, like nobody's walked through Delorme that way. Nobody's walked through Lippinets that way. Nobody's walked through Clayton that way. Clayton was an undefeated fighter coming into this. So, you know, I feel like he is going to move up. And I, I would love to see him against Jamal. I would love to see him against Tim Zhu. I would love to see him against Fundora. You know, there's so many guys that I'm interested to see him fight. And it's good to see now in the last few fights that he's he's fighting top contenders. Um, or at least fringe contenders. Top 20 guys where we can go, oh, okay. Like, not everybody's doing that. You know, Sergey Lipinets went 12 rounds with Mikey Garcia. And it was a good fight. You know what I'm saying? So he's already proven that, at least at welterweight, he's in a different category than everybody that isn't Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. That's the bottom line. Another fight I wanted to talk about um, was Gilberto Ramirez. Dominant fourth-round stoppage of Dominic Bozell. You know, I wrote a recap of this on ITR Boxing. I'll make sure I leave the uh, the link to that article in the description. Just kind of breaking down my thoughts about this fight. Um, but, I, you know, I feel like Gilberto Ramirez is a guy that's been, you know, one fight away from the big fight for like seven years now. You know, since I saw him fight Vlasov. And, um, you know, unfortunately, even guys that he's beaten, guys like Vlasov and Jesse Hart, and some of these other tough guys, you know, he's fought, he's fought some good competition. A lot of these guys have actually had more big fights than him. And I think that's unfortunate. I don't think it does him any favors, but he looked great in this fight. He dominated. This was frankly like a huge fucking mismatch that probably didn't need to happen. You know, Ramirez is a guy who he's 30. He's been around for a long time, though. Like, he's been on TV and fighting in bigger events for seven or eight years at least. Um, and and so it, it just feels like there's been all of these lateral moves and stalls. And, like, his career, to me, just as a fan looking in, it doesn't have any real direction. Like, I don't know what we're building to. I don't, you know, he's calling out Dimitri Bivol, which I love. But at the moment, you know, Bivol is probably going to do the rematch with Canelo. So that fight's not immediately on the table, you know. He's shown interest in moving up in weight. He came into this light heavyweight fight night of at 204. So clearly he's already his body is already comfortably a cruiserweight. So, you know, and I said this in the article, he this is a guy who should have some options. He's a big fucking guy. He's got a lot of skills. He's got fast hands, creative combinations. He clearly hits very hard. You know, I would love to see him fight the winner of Joe Smith and Better Beav. I'm not even making a statement about whether or not I think he would win, but I just feel like he's put himself in this category now where he needs these big fights. He's a big name. He's exciting. He brings a lot to the table, and he's going to bring a lot of fans. Um so I think the winner of Better Beev and Smith is a great fight. You know, there's other good fights for him to take that I think are way more interesting than Dominic Bozell. 
You know, Callum Smith is six foot four and got a huge knockout when he moved up. Um, there is the winner of Josh Buwazi and, and Craig Richards. You know, that's not the most exciting fight, but it is two top 10, top 15 light heavyweights that are going to fight each other. And I think the winner, again, is much more interesting than Dominic Bozell. I get the strategy of trying to fight, you know, to be the number one contender for the WBA. It's a smart move. It's just not going to happen immediately because that rematch is probably going to happen. Um, he could move up the cruiserweight and fight Makabu. He could fight Lawrence Acoli, you know, Myris Bradis. There's a lot of interesting fights at cruiserweight for him. The sleeper of a fight, I think, is Ramirez and David Benavides, who I think are in a similar position where they're both really, really good, potentially great young fighters in their prime that don't have like a signature win or a thing to a, an accomplishment to point to that go to go. Wow. And I think that they both have what the other needs. You know what I'm saying? Like a, for either of them. They'd be getting in with the best guy they've ever gotten in with. A win over the other would give them a level of, you know, validity and uh, leverage in a big fight with a bigger name, be it Bivol or Canelo or the Smith better be of winner. You know, it just gives them more leverage. To me, and, and Benavidez obviously fighting at 168, it always feels temporary. You know, he's so big. It, it only feels like a matter of time before he has to move up, you know, out of physical necessity or that's just where the best opportunities are. Um, but he's clearly got the frame for it. He's like the biggest super middleweight ever. So I think that's a fight that we should all be kind of asking for if they're not going to get the Canelo fight, if they're not going to get the Bivol fight. David Benavidez and Zordo Ramirez is a fucking hell of a matchup um so you know i just hope that there's not any more kind of lateral moves for zordo ramirez because he's an exciting young fighter you know and i think that aside from being young and still in his prime he has been around for a long time so you don't want to and he's and he's got 44 fights so you don't want to wait so long for the you know the the physical breakdown really you don't want to wait for the guy to start to be the training sometimes he does get hit with shots he doesn't get need to you don't want that to add up before he even has that chance you know what i'm saying um and that is another thing with him you know i've seen him get hit and buzzed in fights that he's dominating and it can be frustrating um for somebody that talented and like that talented and dominant in a fight to show that level of vulnerability, like his skill set and his size and his build and his aura don't necessarily lend himself to think like, oh, this is a guy who may be a little bit chinny or has lapses in concentration, you know? And that may be where Benavidez has the edge, but I want to see it happen. Um, and speaking of David Benavidez, he's going to be fighting David Lemieux next week. You know, there was a time where David Lemieux was one of the more exciting middleweights in the world. You know, I was at his fight with Rosado. That was a great fight. Great stoppage by him. Obviously, the signature knockout over Curtis Stevens. Um, and that was a fucking classic of a fight. You know, 
I think Golovkin, when he stepped up to the very elite level, Golovkin, Billy Joe Saunders, that's where it kind of breaks down. And I think that Benavidez, you know, is kind of even more fast and explosive and has, you know, he's more aggressive than Saunders. Saunders gave him a boxing lesson, but Benavidez has the ability to really fuck you up. Um <clears throat> In a different way than Golovkin, because he's got these fast, speedy combinations, and his work rate is really high. You know, Golovkin just picked Lemieux apart with that hard jab, you know, until his face was a fucking mess, and he couldn't keep going. And that was ultimately why the fight got stopped, you know. But all that being said, David Lemieux has some serious punching power. Um, and I haven't seen him fight in a couple of years. I probably haven't seen him since the Billy Joe Saunders fight, but there was a time literally not five years ago, six years ago where David Lemieux was a bad boy. So at the very minimum, I think that Benavidez has to be aware defensively aside from Benavidez getting caught by something, I see this as a wipeout. You know, I like David Lemieux. I've always been a fan. I think he's entertaining, but he's, as a boxer, he's got some big gaps. So, and I think Benavidez has all of the tools, all of the skills, the speed, the footwork, and even the, the defensive instincts to counteract all of that. Um, so I think ultimately it's going to be a very dominant performance. And, you know, David, David Benavidez, he's just trucking along, man. He's just going to keep trucking along. He's going to fight who they put in front of him. It's going to be good guys that are kind of fringe contendery right now. And he's going to smoke them. You know, he's another one. Young guy, but he's been around for a bit where, you know, we want to see where he's at. And he wants to see where he's at. He wants the big fights. You know, I think him and Ramirez both want bigger fights. They're not satisfied with being a big fish in a small pond. Um, and their skills show that. I think potentially but David Benavidez is potentially. still. It's still early as far as who he's fighting. But I think potentially David Benavidez is a pound-for-pound pound type of fighter. Um, he just has... He just brings it all to the table. And... I think as he's gotten older and he's filling out, he's gotten stronger and just more prolific offensively. Um, and I think he's probably making weight smarter now, so he's got more energy on fight night. And, um, yeah, I just want to see both of these guys in big fights. You know, David Lemieux is a good opponent, but that's not – I don't think that's going to tell us anything about where Benavidez is at. I think it's pretty obvious that he's going to dominate this fight. So, um, but yeah, guys, that's fucking, that's episode 64, 65, whatever the fuck episode I'm on. I think it's 65, episode 65 of the Slip and Weed podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in. More guests coming next week. And um, yeah, check me out on ITR Boxing, and I'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>